What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining us on another episode. I got Elliot with me, and we are rearing to go. So our episode today, um, we have on Jason from Wilderness Wonders. He's been posting a lot over in the Hardcore Waterfowl group on Facebook, not to be confused with the much greater Fellowship of the Duck Gun group on Facebook. Um, but from that, that's how I found him doing some awesome falconry duck hunting. So um, not our normal guests, but um, definitely something that me and Elliot are super excited about getting them on here and talking about that subject and, and showing us a, a different kind of style than our traditional. Um, I shouldn't say traditional because I bet falconry is pretty traditional too, but um, our, our usual duck hunting topic. So how are you doing tonight, Elliot? I'm doing pretty good. I cannot wait to talk to this guy. Just checked out some of his videos and just fascinating hunting ducks with hawks and falcons. How cool. <laughs> How much cooler could it get than that? Yeah. Yep. I got a, a prediction that me and Elliot will both be uh, um, falconry experts and uh, and uh, <laughs> falcon hunters, falconry hunters uh, by the end of this. So we both. Well, I can tell you this: I am absolutely in love with birds, and I'm not not just waterfowl, like you know, songbirds. Any bird, any bird I see when I'm driving, it's like I'm identifying. And if I don't know what it is, I'm looking it up in the book, checking it out. I am fascinated with birds. That's one thing that just fuels my waterfowl passion is just the love to see birds close and the love to see their acrobatics in the air and different types. It's just it it it's just a huge part of why I love to waterfowl. So just the thought of owning a falcon or a hawk or something, that is so intriguing to me. I doubt I'd ever be able to get it done because it <laughs> probably takes so much time. But I'm super intrigued by yeah. this. Yes, definitely, definitely super intrigued. And um, I'm excited as well to uh, get him on here. But you got any uh, kind of got any updates or anything going on with your season, Elliot? Well, I'd been kind of in a lull where we did four hunts in a row where I'd shot six ducks in four hunts. And they were, you know, just not that great of hunts. The videos turned out okay. But so we went out and we didn't have a, a just complete fire hunt or anything. But between the four of us, we shot. Um, 10 ducks and it was a snowy day and I hadn't been on a snowy day hunt for a while and and it was really really enjoyable and so that hunt was very very satisfying I, I ended up myself with two mallard drakes and a ring neck and I only shot three shells I went three for three and got some really really good um, video footage of the whole thing and my dad was with us for the first time in a while so just a ultra enjoyable hunt even though we didn't limit it was really fun awesome awesome yep definitely solid for for that kind of stuff and and keep on those videos rolling out man yep got a few more i think i have three more duck hunts two or three more depending on i'm going out saturday and then the last weekend i'm either going to go two days or one but i need 12 ducks to hit 100 so i'm not i'm thinking it's probably not going to happen because right now we've got ice and then the freeze and it's just patterning the birds there's lots of birds around but finding them and patterning them right now takes scouting and that's the one thing that i'm not able to do right now is scout very mm. much i've got my dad out looking around tomorrow but so there's tons of birds around but you just have to scout them a bunch so i probably won't be that overly successful in the next few hunts i hear you on that man where i've been having a little bit of a lull myself i have not shot a goose 
in late season. So this is kind of, you know, a lot of times I do pretty uh, pretty decent here in, in the late season. We got the birds around, and kind of similar to you, it just hasn't, the birds haven't patterned the way I thought they would, and, and the hunts haven't turned out the way I thought they would. And I've been on hunts where we've got, a you know, a couple here and there, but it's usually a, my buddy's pulling the trigger on them. So, um, you know, part of the game, and we got, I think, three more weekends left. So hopefully I can uh, I can get a couple more um, solid hunts to end the season. I had actually someone uh, message me today asking. Um, <laughs> they said, uh, or they asked if I if I was putting it if I was done posting videos on my YouTube channel. I'm like, no, it's just it's just been a little bit of a struggle here. So um, yeah. it'll I'll be back into it, and as soon as I get is your duck over? Birds, or do you still have some duck left? Or no, ducks goose? ducks is over too. So it's been over since. Okay. So you just have goose, and that's all yeah, you have left. Yeah, unless okay. unless I travel. And we heard what happened last time I tried to travel, so um, yeah. <laughs> hasn't panned out for me um, quite yet. So, but uh, yeah, we've got two weekends of duck, and then two more weekends—I think two more weekends of goose, maybe three. I think I can't remember. And then we'll—I'm going to do a little more snow goose hunting this year, I think. So my season's going to roll a little longer because I just have it kind of. I normally just don't really want to do a bunch of snow goose hunting, but Aiden's getting more into it, and I went out last year with him a couple times, and we had snow goose decoys over a pond, and I really enjoyed it, so I think I'm going to do a little more snow goose this year. Nice. Should be fun. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, let's get a quick word from our partners, and we'll get Jason and, and jump right into it. So first off, I'd like to give a big thanks to OnX. Guys, OnX is the one-stop app for all your permissions and public land access, all that kind of stuff right in the palm of your hand um, for Apple or Android. I can't tell you guys how many times a week I just pull it open, even on my computer, pull it open, looking at different locations, dropping pins. Um, you know, the coolest thing about it is for those private permissions, you're able to click right on a piece of property. It tells you the tax information of the landowner, drive right to their house, and ask for permission. Super fast way to beat the competition, be first to the spot and get that permission. So, um, and then for the public land hunters, again, you can see the boundaries and know where you stand, know you're hunting in legal area and be good to go. Um, there's many, many other functions of it all on Onyx and, and really it's a game changer for me. And it has been for the last few, few seasons that I've been using them. So check them out guys Onyx on Apple, Android, or on PC. As it is never, too late or too early, depending on how you're looking at it, to go to Bandit.com and check out their supply of gear. Um, I know a lot of times when it starts spring, they start running some sales and stuff. So go to Bandit.com, see what they've got. You can check out Bandit, Avery, GHG. I'm going to be checking out the Avery Sporting Dog because my my dog training season is going to be starting here soon where Georgie and I are going to go to some hunt tests and stuff. So Avery Sporting Dog has a lot of gear for your dog training needs. But I'm also looking at some decoy upgrades, and they've got GHG there. I think I'm gonna, I think I'm really gonna try to go to more goose floaters next late season and kind of make a transfer from ducks to more geese. So I'm looking at that. So go on over there and see what they've got. And start thinking about um, either what you might need for these last few weeks or what you want for next year. Banded.com. Awesome. Also give like to give a big thanks to Tetra. Guys, tetrahearing.com. Um, one out of nine waterfowl hunters choose to use hearing protection. And I know Elliot and I in the past have been in the majority 
And, uh, you know, that's something that we're both happy that we have made decisions to change and, and use hearing protection. Um, you know, a lot of the issues with it, with, uh, with the hearing, um, is the hearing loss, but not only that, but early onset dementia and, um, uh, dementia and, and having issues with that. So, um, it's something that the people over at Tetra are super passionate about and helping waterfowl hunters understanding the dangers and the issues and the problems with that. And, you know, my eyes have definitely been open to that the last couple of years. And, you know, Tetra is a perfect solution to solve that problem. Um, you know, with it, you put them in your ears and you can hear your buddies talking. You can still hear the wildlife um, with the technology that they built into it. And bam, when you shoot your gun, it shuts it off and it mutes it. And then as soon as that's over, it's bam, back to hearing the birds, back to hearing your dog, everybody around you. Seamless, and you don't realize the difference. So check them out, guys. Tetra, and uh, you won't be disappointed. As Jordan and I have been working hard at developing this app, it's also a website if you prefer to use it that way. It's called Freelance Hunt Stats. It's just a hunt journal. It's a place for you to keep all of your information from your hunts, the weather, how many birds you harvested. You make up your own locations. You name it. Put that in. What state you're in. And also, we've got a leaderboard where you can compete against your buddies. You can form crews. But our most recent feature that's just now up there is now you can group report. So you go on a hunt. Say, how many guys did you hunt with? What was harvested for the whole group? So throughout the whole season, you can keep track of personally what birds you harvested and what the weather conditions were, but also what your how many birds your crew harvested throughout the year. So I'm telling you guys, this is an awesome. It adds so much fun and enjoyment to what you're doing. It's freelancehuntstats.com on, on PC, or if you want it on your phone, which is the way I use it, you search hunt stats. It's either on Android or iOS. Search hunt stats and download that app today. It is worth it. It is so. I got all the flyways guys using it. Everyone loves it. Of course, I'm in last place on the leaderboards with the flyways this year, Jordan. Did you, did you know that? <laughs> I'm not surprised. But I hunted. You know, when you when you go on, I've been on 28 hunts, and I'm that's also the least amount of hunts of any of the flyways as well. Way, I mean, most of the guys are up over 40 hunts, and I'm puttering away. Not Titus, but um, I'm puttering away at 28 hunts, so it's hard to keep up. But Am I in second to last? Yeah. <laughs> well, I no, no, no. I think... I, I don't know if you're beating Josh or not. It's really close. I think he he passed me up at some point, but yeah, but it's close. You're up there. You're definitely. There's no way I'm going to catch you because you you made me count snow geese as only two points per bird. <laughs> That's just silly. Snow geese shouldn't count at all. <laughs> shouldn't even count at all. Huh? Out, out of season anyway. <laughs> oh the yeah i think two points per bird is just fine there's nothing wrong with that some people oh, would be looking beat, up here would beat people just off of the snow goose season yeah i yeah i get you but two two points a bird is is not much so matt's in first thomas is in third golden boys in fifth titus is in 10th josh is in 12th you're in 18th and i'm in 23rd Mm. I'm down the board, down the board a little bit. That's okay. That's okay. It's been, you know, I just, I can't count as many times as you guys have. I want to, I want to filter that by like flyway and see where I'm at in the Mississippi. 
That will, yeah, we're, guys, we're making changes to this all the time. We have so many big ideas to things we're going to do to improve this site. And, and uh, I said, you can join a crew. So all of us at the Flyways Collective, we've got a crew over there so we can see all of each other's information. We can't see hunting locations. That's fully protected and hidden. But um, we can see. I can go and look and see how many birds Jordan shot, you know, all that stuff. So it's it's really fun. It's really fun. Awesome. Also, like to give a big thanks out to Motion Ducks. Guys, Motion Ducks is the solution of choice for me and Elliot for those no-win days. Lifelike motion, and guys, just words on its own can't really do it justice. Check them out, guys, um, over there on their website. Watch the videos. Elliot and I both have videos of their product up there, and it's just lifelike motion. It is a jerk rig on steroids, putting ripples all through your decoys, um, you guys, we know how wary broods get, especially the later it gets in the season. Um, but when you're out on a day where it's just crystal clear, no wind, no movement on the water at all. If you look at live ducks, man, there's ripples all over the place. If you look at decoys, there's not. So that's where this really comes into helping you finish those birds on those weary days. Um, and at this point, guys, especially on those no wind days, I won't hunt without it. So check them out, guys motionducks.com use code duckgun2020 for 10% off alrighty let's go ahead and jump right into it hey guys I'm Jordan Fromer I believe in hunting hard hunting smart and having a fun time while doing it and shooting limits well that's just the icing on the cake I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings from ducks to dogs to decoys and guns we'll be talking tactics strategies and what it takes to get the job done Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me in another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, and I got my co-host, per usual, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting alongside me. And our guest tonight is Jason of Wilderness Wonders. And the reason we got him on, guys, is I'll, I'll give him a little bit of an introduction um, before we jump on here with him. But uh, he's been posting a bunch of falconry videos over in uh, on Facebook and Hardcore Waterfowl. And, man, that definitely perked my interest. Super, super cool to see that kind of waterfowl hunting. So we got him on tonight. How you doing tonight, Jason? Doing great. Uh, it's been awesome and a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Super cool, man. So, uh, like I said, I mean, first, first thing that I saw on there is, well, I've been seeing them for – for a while, uh, every once in a while, you're posting a video up there, and um, you got your falcon right on your arm, and, and you're walking up to uh, some type of waterway, and boom, you send your falcon, and uh, you know that's just uh, <laughs> that's not the normal way that most people duck hunt. Um, but I saw it, I kept I kept seeing those videos, um, and man, I just had to know more about it. So. Uh, you know, let's just, let's just jump right into it. Kind of give a introduction as far as like how you got into that kind of, um, hunting. Well, uh, what I do is called falconry. You said that already, but, um, and I got into it, uh, about five years ago is when it piqued my interest. I had a friend who, uh, was a falconer and he had a jeer falcon. And the jeer falcons are beautiful, beautiful birds. They're they're the world's largest of the falcons, and they're just beautifully white and gray colored. 
and he brought it over to my house to to just kind of show it off, and I instantly, you know, fell in love with it. Um, and I thought it was amazing. I had done a little bit of work with animals prior, uh, um, I mean, with raptors prior, uh, but not much. Uh, nothing to where I was able to like actually handle anything. So this was the first bird I ever like held and handled, and instantly fell in love and I just kind of decided almost right then and there, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I want one of these animals really, really fat. Um, and so I had to go through, there's a whole licensing process, uh, to become a falconer so that you can get your own raptor. And so, um, I went through that and got started And the first bird I used was a red tailed hawk. Awesome. Awesome. That's, Man, I can't tell you how many questions I got just from your little intro there. So, um, yeah, super, super cool. And is that the in your video? That's the red. Is that the same red tail hawk that you've been running? No, actually, uh, when I first started, I started with um, a passage red tailed hawk. Um, I'm probably going to use words, and I'll tell you what they are as we go. Um, that are commonly used in falconry or among falconers. Um, passage just means a raptor that has left the nest, but they're under a year old. So basically they're not under the care of their parents anymore. Um, so I, my first bird was a wild passage red tailed hawk. Um, and I hunted with that red tail, uh, for a season. And then the next season I got another red, t- I got a different red tailed hawk, hunted her first season. I only did rabbits. And then this season, um, I have a Harris's hawk. Um, and our rabbit population has been just depleting and it's just gotten worse and worse. And I said, well, you know, we got thousands of ducks. Why don't I give them a try with my Harris talk? They're a little bit faster than red tails. And it's, it's been quite a success this last season. So it's, it's been awesome. Awesome. Jordan, I don't, I don't, I don't want to have him go through it too fast. There's just, it's so fascinating. I don't think most people have a clue about this. So, <laughs> if, could you back up and and sure. what exactly is the process to getting your license? Absolutely. Um, so the process here uh, in the United States, it can it can vary between state to state, but it's all basically the same. Now I'm in the state of Utah, and how it's done here is. Uh, you have to go to your Division of Natural Resources, other states, they just call it Fish and Game, you know, the Fish and Game office, and uh, you have to take a test, and you have to pass this test with an 80% or higher, and most states will have some sort of study guide that they can give somebody if they're really interested in practicing falconry. Well, once you pass that test, then you have to get somebody who is already an experienced falconer to mentor you. And this person is going to be called your sponsor. And this sponsor is officially responsible for you as an apprentice. So you start falconry as an apprentice, and then you, after two years, you can graduate to a general. And then after uh, five years of being a general, you can graduate to being a master falconer. Each one of those, you kind of get, more privileges as a falconer as you as you progress in there but you start off as an apprentice and you have to have again a sponsor and so this sponsor will send a letter to fishing game saying hey i will be responsible for uh this new apprentice who just passed his test 
um, and and they will say okay. The the fishing game will just say okay. Uh, well, we would love to come out and inspect your equipment and the housing, uh, the facilities that you've built for your bird. So, assuming this new apprentice has built um, their, we call it a muse, uh, and has built their facilities, they'll come out. They'll send an officer, game warden out, and they will check to make sure that your equipment's in order, that you, um, that your facilities are in order as well, that they look good, that they're great housing for the, the bird that you plan on, on getting. Uh, once that's all done, you take in your past test, your um, letter from your sponsor, and your inspection up to uh, you know your fishing game office, and you say, "Hey, I've done everything I've um, I'm required to do to get my falconry license." And they say, "Looks great," and you basically purchase your falconry license and your first trapping permit, and you can go and trap your first bird. So, so when you say the how the housing for the bird, what does that entail? What 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 are, what um, would you need to have for them to clear you and say that's adequate? So there's a lot of different types of housings depending on the species of bird um, that you want to get. But most apprentices are starting with something like a red tail. They're starting with something kind of large. Uh, so normally the standard is about and kind of like an eight by eight by about, you know, five or seven foot tall shed. Um, and it needs to have windows with vertical bars. Uh, it needs to have several perches, and the perches have to be either be covered with astroturf or um, rope or something like that so it doesn't dull the talons of the bird. Um, it's got to have proper flooring, whether that be foam mats or pea gravel. It, there's a lot of variations you can do, uh, but most of the time what's required is that your bird has enough room to open up their wings and hop from one perch to another and that uh, the way you have your window set up it's not going to damage their feathers if their feathers go through um, the bars which is why I say vertical bars because um, if a, a bird goes up to the window and its feathers kind of go through the window it's not going to get caught on anything if the bars are kept vertical and so it's not going to damage their feathers. Um, and that's that's mostly it. Some people go really into it and can spend thousands and thousands of dollars, or you can end up being really thrifty and build it all from scratch. Um, I've seen both ends. Uh, a lot of times, it, although if you're getting something small, like uh, a lot of apprentices also do start with something like a little American kestrel, which is uh, the United States' uh, smallest bird of prey. Uh, a lot of times they'll just have a perch set up inside their home. Um, it's just a little perch that they can mount on the wall and the the falcon can be uh, tied to that perch. Um, and that would also be considered um, the facilities that you'd keep your bird in if you, if you were planning on getting a, a kestrel. You can also kind of have like a mini version of the large enclosure as well for a kestrel. Um, can you ask? quite a variety. And when somebody does get into it, you'll be able to talk with of course your sponsor about what bird you want to find, what the proper housing looks like. Um, so that are, way you can get it passed. Are bald eagles off the, off the table? Yeah. Unfortunately, bald eagles are off the <laughs> That'd table. That'd be sweet. That, it would be rad going out with the bald eagle hunting ducks. Yeah. Not going to lie. Yeah. Cause they yeah. are actually pretty good at catching ducks. <laughs> 
but un- yeah, unfortunately, bald eagles are are not allowed. Um, they're completely off limits. However, uh, golden eagles are, uh, but you have to be a master class falconer, and you have to have a certain amount of experience with golden eagles as well. So, uh, a lot of times that you have to be a master falconer who's had a lot of experience uh, either doing uh, education with um, golden eagles, or maybe you did a lot of work with another falconer who already has golden eagles, and then you could get the approval to fly a golden eagle. So, unfortunately, even a golden eagle would be off limits for an apprentice and even a general falconer. Uh, and then the only other bird that's off limits for an apprentice falconer, at least here in the state of Utah, is a wild peregrine falcon. So, um, but a, do, a, a lot of states with apprentices do have the limit of where they can only use a red-tailed hawk or an American kestrel. Uh, we're lucky here in Utah, and we can use most apprentices can use almost any bird they want. Um, they just can't use birds that are like imprinted or birds that they got when, you know, they were just little hatchlings. We call those an IS. Why can't you do that? That's like the only limit. What would be the reason for not being able to do that? Um, Most of it is just because apprentices are so new and an IS, a little hatchling imprinting one of those uh, can be a complicated process and it's a lot easier to make mistakes um, in those situations. And so they want apprentices to gain some experience training before they give imprinting a shot. Mm. And, you know, but to be honest, uh, you don't even want to imprint something like a red tailed hawk or an American Kestrel passages end up being a lot better to work with. Uh, it'll all kind of depend on the species of what's going to end up being better. If it's going to be a passage or, imprint there's so many species and variations and factors that come into it and sometimes imprinting isn't the best way and sometimes a passage bird is the best way how long do you keep these birds uh so my first two birds i only kept them for a season um the bird i have now i hope to keep her her entire life so it's just kind of up to the falconer okay and do you plan to get like a additional birds or just just keep the one for hunting um i plan on getting additional birds as time goes on uh this next season i hope to get a goshawk and i'll be flying that bird on ducks as well so they're they're a bit faster than uh than harris's hawks uh but they're a little bit um more they they offend more easily (laughs) i guess is the easiest way to put it and so i really want to First, get the understanding of Corey, understand where the ducks are hanging out, um, how the ducks act, best way to get the ducks off the water so that the bird can you know, catch them um, with a bird that's a lot easier to train um, and then get then try maybe a bird that's a bit more difficult to train because then I don't have to go over the hurdles of relearning field craft so I can focus more on the bird for next season. What's the what's the trapping process like for uh, getting a falcon? Uh, so it kind of depends on the species. Um, are you wondering for falcon or for like? Well, I, I guess I just in general. I, I said falcon, but just in general. Okay. Uh, so the trapping process is you got to go to the 
DNR office and get a trapping permit. Uh, once you have that, you can take a trap. I, I use a, I've used a ball chiatri trap, um, or you can just call it a BC trap. It's basically just a cage with a bunch of nooses around it, and you put a gerbil or a mouse or some sort of rodent in it. Uh, depending on your location, some rodents work better than others. Uh, but I used gerbils, and we would drive down uh, the road just looking for red-tailed hawks sitting on telephone poles, and when we find one, uh, we would throw the trap out on the side of the road, or we would walk the trap out to the middle of the field and put the trap down, get back to the car, drive away um, enough for us to still see the trap from binoculars, and we'd wait for the bird to come down. And when the bird comes down, they'll usually kind of foot the trap, trying to get the rodents and stuff, and then hopefully they'll get a they'll get a toe snagged in it. Um, and then when you realize the bird's trapped, you drive up, and then you pretty much collect the bird, and then you get equipment on them, and training begins. How do you collect the bird? I would think that would be... <laughs> I, I assume these animals Very are carefully. pretty aggressive. <laughs> they are really aggressive. Uh, sometimes... The birds are just in shock and they're just completely frozen. Mm -hmm. um, other times they are more willing to defend themselves and they'll try to grab you with their talons. Uh, and basically you just got to watch out for the feet. When I'm always approaching, I'm always securing the legs first, mm -hmm. uh, making sure that I got a hold of those as I untangle uh, their feet from the trap. Uh, and then I'll... Hold, I'll hold their wings down, have their back against my chest, and I'll put their, um, and then I'll hold on to their feet, and so that way I've got their feet. I'm holding their their wings down, and they're secure. And I'll put a falconry hood on them, and that kind of really helps calm them down, so that then mm -hmm. they're not being so aggressive or experiencing a lot of stress because they're such visually stimulated animals, and so. Um, then we get the equipment on them, like the anklets and jesses, and then we start trying to either put them on our fist or put them on a perch, and you start the process of getting them used to your presence. Um, so slow, many, slow many down a little. For that, slow but, slow yeah. down just a little bit. Once, once you, <laughs> it's just so fascinating. It's so fascinating. There's just so many little details. So once you get them, you take them back to your truck or your car or whatever. Mm -hmm. Do you transport them by hold? You're continuing to hold them as you transport them, and yeah, then once I'll you get back to your them. house, what's that first 24 hour cycle? So I'll I'll usually just hold them each time I've had somebody with me. But if I don't have anybody with me, um, I I've just put the bird basically in like a swaddle. So I was able to wrap them in kind of like a, uh, like a baby swaddle type towel. Mm -hmm. um, and then if you just put tape around it to secure, it'll secure them well enough. Um, just so that there. way they can't move. Yeah. Do you, have it, do you put it into a cage when, when you have it swaddled like that or just like, no, on the, on the no I just, I just sit them in the car on their back and drive home. Oh, that's crazy. Um, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. It's like, they're kind of like a little baby in the swaddle and the, in the seat next to you. Uh, so you get home, then what, what do you do right when you get home? So right when we get home, we want to try to work quickly. Uh, so the bird isn't just, you know, sitting there in the towel and hood for too long. Um, and so I'll put on anklets and I'll have pre-prepared uh, little like leather strips. Excuse me. I'll have pre-prepared leather strips that I'll be able to fasten around the bird's ankles. 
and then I'll put what is called a jess through the ankle. And the jess is just kind of like this uh, piece of like rope, but it's got a loop on the end of it and then a knot on the other end. So that when I loop it through the anklet, through a hole in the anklet, it kind of creates like a tassel that I'm able to hold on to. Um, and then the first time um, after after we get the equipment on, uh, we still leave the hood on, or at least I leave the hood on, and I place the, the hawk onto my fist with the hood on. They're still kind of a little disoriented, imbalanced. Let them kind of balance, wait for it to just calm down a little bit, and then I'll take that hood off. And that's the first time that they're seeing me and the things around them. And I'm normally trying to do this in a calm, quiet, lower-lit environment. So that way it, it's going to reduce the amount of stress they have. And then I will literally just sit there and hold the bird for the rest of the day. I won't do anything else but just hold the bird. And they kind of freak out the first hour or so. Um, maybe they'll try to fly off, but you can typically gently push them from the back, back onto the glove, and they'll stand back up again and act like you're going to kill them. That's what they thats what they probably think is going to happen. But after about an hour, they t- start calming down and realizing, oh, this if, if he was going to eat me, he'd probably have done it already. <laughs> what am I doing here? And and they start trying to figure out what's going on after they kind of get over that little initial bump of fear. Um, All right, I got it. I got a few questions. Process, um, we call this process manning, which is just getting them used to human things, getting them used to me, maybe my family stuff inside the house, maybe getting them used to my dog. Uh, so that's when that process starts, and it it almost lasts about it, it almost feels like I go three days just holding the bird on my fist trying to get this bird to eat out of my hand for the first time it typically takes maybe two or three days for them to eat from you for the first time all right so a few questions so sure. <laughs> like Elliot said it's like information overload so um, yes yes you're gonna gonna break it down a little bit but uh so I've never owned a bird um, of any type. So, um, you know, the, the easiest thing I'm trying to compare it to is like my dog. I mean, is there, is there a bond between a bird and a person the same way there is with a dog? I don't know if birds relate to us the same way, um, or vice versa. So, you know, break that one down. Um, and then two next one on there, um, like what is the intelligence level of, of these birds, you know? Obviously, every uh, every type of animal, there's different intelligent levels. I mean, are these super intelligent, like compared to like maybe a dog again, or or where do they fall in that spectrum? Sure. Um, so I've done some training with a with a dog. I haven't done extensive training um, um, with dogs, but I've got my dog trained to basically just find and flush rabbits. She'll also flush ducks for me on occasion, um, but we kind of gave it a little bit of a break this season with my, my dog. And I I would say there's a lot of, a lot of the basic principles are very much the same. Um, so using things like positive reinforcement, or if you're trying to associate, um, food with some sort of sound or whistle or command, um, oftentimes you're doing that with a dog. I mean, recalling a bird is 
teaching a bird to come back to you or teaching a hawk to come back to you is very similar to teaching a dog to come back to you. You're giving the dog some sort of signal. Usually it's like, you know, come here or you call their name uh, with a bird. Maybe it's a whistle. Maybe you call their name too. I don't, I don't, it all depends on the person who's training them. And then when they come, they get rewarded. So when you're training your dog, you're giving them a reward right away. Same thing with the bird. You've got a tidbit in the glove, and right when they land on your glove, they get the reward. And so it's all about positive reinforcement. But the biggest difference I notice between dogs and birds of prey is birds of prey do not understand punishment whatsoever. Punishing a bird, just any bird, even parrots, is completely pointless. They do not get it. They do not understand. They can understand withholding a reward, because they didn't do it improper, didn't do something properly, and they need to figure out what they need to do to actually get that reward. Uh, but punishment doesn't work. We're like, you can yell at a dog, and they know they're in trouble, and they'll kind of almost act like they're super sorry. A bird's not going to understand that at all. And I think that's the biggest difference between them two. Um, but most of the same, again, most of the same basic principles are the same. Like, uh, if Maybe you guys have read the books uh, Zoomility or uh, Don't Shoot the Dog. Um, have either of you read those books? No, I haven't. No? Okay. So they're they're really good books to help understand the basics of animal training um, and uh, mostly positive reinforcement. And so the training with the dog uh, compared to a bird of prey, the basic principles are the same. It's just the biggest difference is that birds do not understand punishment. Dogs do to an extent. Gotcha. But, you know, you don't really want to use too much punishment for a dog. But a dog will understand it way better than a bird will. Okay. Yeah, the answer is the other question. The answer is one of them. Yeah, circling back to kind of the the bond. Like, is there like is the bird like fond of you? Like after the training and and all that. Like, um, you know, to tackle I that. They question. are. I I don't think it's the same as something like a dog because a dog will seek affection. Um, they'll seek attention where a bird of prey won't really do that. Maybe an imprint will, uh, but. For the most part, most raptors do not seek humans out for attention. Uh, the relationship, from their point of view, they see it as beneficial. They see it as a way like, hey, I'm getting fed well. This human is helping me. Um, and I'm not starving. Um, I get more chances at catching uh, rabbits or ducks when I'm with them. They see it mostly as just a way for them to more easily benefit themselves and survive. Um, and they do form, you know, bonds in a way because how raptors communicate, their main form of communication is through food. So if you keep in mind, the only two times that a raptor ever creates a relationship is either with its mate or with its young, with the exception of Harris's hawks, because Harris's hawks are one of the very few birds of prey that actually hunt in packs. Hmm. But all the birds, some might hunt in pairs, but very, very few do. And so the only time that they form relationships again is either with their parents 
or with their mate. And how they build that bond is through food. They actually feed each other. And so we're tapping into kind of that same form of communication with this animal is by feeding them, by offering them food, they're realizing that we aren't a danger, that we're forming some sort of bond, forming some sort of relationship, some sort of partnership. Um, and that partnership is going to benefit the bird greatly because they'll have plenty of chances to hunt, plenty of food to eat, and they'll never starve. And that's enough of a reason for them to always want to come back. Uh, so maybe the bond isn't so much like they love us or they have an emotional attachment. A lot of the attachment has more to do with the benefits they receive from the partnership. So these uh, these passage birds that you um, trap and then keep for a season and then let go – like, uh, is there, I mean, would they ever return to a trainer or anything like that? Or, um, could. um I mean, there's that chance, but the chance is really low. Okay. So it's not, not- it, it would have to be somebody knowing that bird once belonged to a falconer and they're literally trying to call it down. So, um, maybe a bird would, a recently released, you know, bird would come close to a human or not be scared off as easily. Uh, but for the most part, that's pretty much it. The bird I released last season, I could get close to her for about three weeks, up to about three weeks after she was released. But after that, she would not let me get close to her at all. She was kind of reverting back to being a wild animal again. Wow. All right. So, man, so many, so many <laughs> questions. I think this could be a nine-hour <laughs> podcast. I really think we could probably go nine hours on this. So, oh well, if you want I, to make so, it two episodes, we can. <laughs> I, I'm so interested in the process. So you've gotten through basically day three of just holding yeah. the bird. And are you sitting in its little, I don't know, what's the word you used for their little house? I used structure? the word muse. M-E-W-S. Muse. So are you in there muse during that time? Or can you like sit on the couch and watch TV while you're holding the So the personally, I'll, I'll sit in my living room and just yeah. watch TV while the dog's out, while my daughter's walking around. And um, if I need to get up and do something, uh, you know, the bird has jesses and, and we've got leashes and I can just tie the bird to a perch, go do what I need to do, come uh-huh. back, pick the bird back up and continue you know, Manning, even when they're on the perch, they're still seeing everything. Yeah. Um, and, and this is more of a kind of more brunt and not quite aggressive. I don't know what the, the term I would use for it, but kind of a, a more forward way of Manning. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other methods like strobe light methods. Like you sit in a really dark room with a strobe light that goes off every two seconds and, you slowly turn the time. Anyway, there's re- a lot of really extravagant and other ways to man birds. Red tails tend to handle the more forward way pretty well. Um, but other birds might not handle it that way. And so you need to uh, slow down the amount of exposure they have. So like maybe with a goshawk. Goshawks are high-stress birds. So if you have a passage goshawk, maybe you do need to start in a really darkly lit dimly lit room with just you and do that for several days before turning up the light and going out. Mm. Uh, but like I said, you know, it's, it's about day, th- you know, three days in and the bird 
usually will start eating from my hand at that point. And what are you feeding uh, it? Just mice, dead mice? Uh, nor- or? Just anything I have, mice, rabbits, um, if I've got duck from a season before, quail. Quail is a very common food to feed. Just the meat or so is it getting farm. fur? Is it getting fur oh, with it's it or just the meat? fur and feathers and okay. eyes, beaks, you know, like <laughs> they're getting the bones. Uh, they'll, they'll eat it all. Um, but anything that's made of keratin um, or if there's other foreign substances like grass or gravel or dirt, um, they'll actually cough that stuff out. They won't digest it. So uh, you, all raptors have what is called, uh, they can cough up what um, is called a casting. And owls, we call them pellets. Um, maybe if you remember in elementary school, maybe your own kids or you as a kid dissecting owl pellets. Mm-hmm. Uh, other raptors have a form of that. It's just that hawks and falcons, they can actually digest bone. And so you're not going to find bone in their castings. You're only going to find feathers, fur, Maybe dirt, rocks, grass, things like that. Is that casting as big as an owl pellet or is it smaller? Because I didn't really know owls swallow the whole, like if they get a mouse, they swallow the entire thing. But I I was under the assumption that raptors pick the meat out. Yeah, it all depends on how much fur and feathers they, if they ate a lot of fur and feathers, the casting is going to be pretty big. If they didn't eat a lot of fur and feathers, it's going to be really small. So So it's not like an owl where they swallow it. Yeah. I mean, they'll swallow small things like they'll, they'll swallow like a mouse hole and stuff. Do they still have bird droppings as well? Oh, yeah. They still poop. Okay. <laughs> and are, are owls yeah. part of the, the falconry uh, class or whatever you want to call it? Not um, so much. You can fly an owl, but they just don't really do very well. They get too complacent and don't like to really hunt with a partner. And it's hard to convince them to hunt things that are larger. So... Uh, to hunt something like a rabbit or to hunt something like a squirrel can be really hard to convince an owl to do. They just don't have as high of a prey drive as most hawks, falcons, or eagles have. And so, and hunting an owl can be incredibly challenging. Hundreds of falconers have tried. Most of them have not seen success. I only know of one person who has had success in this season with an owl, um, and he's hunting squirrels, which is probably, my guess, the, one of the biggest things you can get an owl to hunt. Mm. So no, no ducks for a, for an owl. No, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I doubt that owl want to take down ducks. Okay, I've heard of people having owls and just hunting kangaroo rats at night, and and that can be a blast if that's the type of falconry you enjoy. That's awesome, but um, it definitely isn't. I I don't think it's nearly as fun as flying, you know, a hawk or falcon. So when you when you catch these ducks, I know I keep going on rabbit trails, but everything you say just uh, brings up another question for me. But uh, um, do you eat the ducks, or is it just food for the bird? So I haven't eaten any of the ducks that she's caught this season. Uh, a lot of the ducks we're catching are in like these really kind of gross canals and stuff, and I'm noticing fifty percent of them have rice breast as well. Wow! 50%. So I haven't been eating any of them. Um, and I've just been freezing them and then I'll just chop them up when, um, when, as I, you know, I'll thaw them out and chop them up and use them as tidbits for my bird or to feed her on days we don't hunt, or I'll be saving it to feed her over the summer while she molts. Um, so everything she's caught so far, she's eaten. So 
Um, I I don't I haven't eaten any of the ducks. How many ducks has she harvested? Has she killed? She's caught thirty two. I believe wow. th- three of them were domestic ducks that were abandoned in like a creek or a canal. <laughs> but uh, everything else has been either hybrids or mallards. Oh, she's actually caught a few coots too. So I think that's more ducks than that. Jordan's killed this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm out hunting with her about six times a week. <laughs> really? So, really? Yeah. Yeah. So we're out. A, we were out a lot. Um, I was trying to give her as m- many chances I possibly could. And, and I, I pushed her to her limit. So, um, but she had an incredibly successful season. Um, she even caught a muskrat in one of the wetland areas we were hunting in. Hmm. So that was really that was really kind of fun. Uh, oh, those muskrats—they're terrifying because their teeth are so huge. She could that the muskrat could easily take a toe off um, off my bird. Uh, but we did try geese. Never caught one. She grabbed a few, but she never caught one. And I'm very picky about the the geese I let her go for because I want to make sure that it's a goose that I can get to, or that it's a catch that I can get to very quickly. Cause a goose can really beat up my bird. Um, I mean, if you think about it, the average size of a goose is what about 10 pounds, give roughly? or take, give, give or take. take. Yeah. Maybe somewhere between seven and 12 pounds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and my bird's two pounds. So, trying to hold on to something that huge is really hard um, and can be really dangerous to her. And so when we want to go for goose, I'm very, very picky on our, on, on our, on the opportunity I give her. I want to be, make sure that it's really close and that I can run to her immediately. I think you guys uh, meant, or guys just saw, uh, one of the videos of her trying to catch one. And you can mm-hmm. see right when she flew off my fist after them, I'm booking it. I'm like yeah. running s- as fast as I can to her and the goose still gets away. Um, and so we didn't have any success with geese, but she did excellent with all the ducks and the ducks are close to like three, maybe four pounds at times. Does she kill the like ducks or does she just hold She'll them and hold, you kill them? And then, and then I'll go in, pick them up, you know, like whether they're on the bank or, or, um, in the water, I'll, I'll, I'll pick up the duck and then bring it over to the bank and I'll, I'll dispatch the duck for her. Now, why does she not immediately try to kill it herself? Uh, it would just take a long time. She could kill it. Uh, and how they would kill it is either by just eating it alive or, she would continually push her talons into the body or head until it punctures something vital. And so it's kind of a long, painful death if I let her do it. And so yeah. I do the dispatching uh, pretty much as respect for the quarry. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. It's, uh, she'd be able to do it. It'd crazy. just take time. Uh, falcons, they're a little bit faster. Uh, they have this special little notch on their beak. So when they catch something... Um, and once they're able to wrestle it down enough, they'll they'll try to get right um, kind of at the base of the neck, and they'll nip the spine, and they're mm. able to kill. Their falcons are able to kill things fast, and we and we um, uh, biologists believe that they've developed this ability to do this is because falcons have um, harder, more rigid feathers that are more likely to break. And if they break feathers, then they can't fly. If they can't fly, they can't hunt. If they can't hunt, they die. And so 
Falcons have been able to have a way of dispatching their quarry very quickly just by biting the neck. And so that way it protects their feathers. That way they don't have to fight for long periods of time. Where most hawks have more flexible feathers. And so their feathers are less likely to break. And so they don't really have a need to dispatch something as quickly. And hawks are usually hunting smaller stuff like squirrels and smaller rabbits and a lot of other rodents. So um, that's kind of why um, falcons... uh, That's why we think falcons have the adaptation to kill their prey faster than, you know, hawks do. And falcons are generally faster than hawks, is that correct? Yeah, so so the main differences between, like, hawks and falcons, um, falcons have, like, really long wings for the size of their body. Uh, falcon, I noticed falcons' heads are a bit bigger compared to the size of their body. Their eyes are bigger compared to the size of their body. Uh, falcons have the special notch in the beak that we just talked about. Uh, but a, one of their biggest differences is their hunting style. Um, most falcons will hunt from maybe hundreds to thousands of feet in the air. And a lot of them will dive down going, you know, maybe 70 to the peregrine falcons have been known to dive 240 miles an hour even. And and they'll dive down and they'll literally punch their prey out of the sky. Mm -hmm. And, and falcons will still tail chase here and there. Uh, but the way most falconers want their falcons to hunt is by doing the big stoop, you know, and hitting either a duck or a sage grouse or something like that. But hawks mostly just tail chase. You just kind of put the put them in front of the uh, the desired quarry, and you just let them chase it and and hope they catch it. Uh, there are some hawks that'll that'll do the soaring and dive down on on prey and try to catch it. Um, and there, there is some exceptions here and there with those things, um, but those those are kind of the main differences between you know hawks and falcons. Elliot, how uh, long people until, have done uh, really well with even hunting ducks with falcons? Like, um, there are a lot of I've been seeing a lot of images this year of of guys in the states um, using you know peregrines and deer falcons, and they'll scare they'll they'll put the bird up into the sky. Um, the bird's flying about 1,200 feet in the air, and they'll scare ducks right off the pond, and this bird will just come down going as fast as it can and just smack a duck right out of the sky. It's amazing. Elliot, how long till you uh, till you, you pick up your first bird? I'll tell you what. I, this has got me thinking. I, I, love, I love birds. I Songbirds, all types of birds. In fact, I'm really interested in the thought of having my own kestrel. Oh, my gosh. My two favorite birds are the scissor flycatcher and the American kestrel. I'm in Kansas. We've got, I don't know what their range is. I think it's pretty big. But we've got tons and tons of kestrels. And, kestrels and, uh, are amazing birds, and they're growing, and they're, they're becoming more and more popular among falconers. Um, and the main thing most kestrel guys like hunting are starlings. They're oh, that's what that was going to be one of my year questions. Round. Yeah, 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 they're available all year round. Uh, they're not protected here in the United States, so you can just hunt kestrels all year with a. I mean, not hunt kestrels. My bad. You can hunt starlings with a kestrel all mm-hmm. year long, and and so there's some pretty amazing videos I've seen. Uh, well, I've also seen it in person of kestrels catching uh starlings it's they're it's pretty awesome oh um, i bet it and is. they're they're about the same size as a kestrel so it's for a little bird like the tick and 
down a, a starling. It's it's still a fight, and it, it's an, it's super fun to watch. Yeah, and for those of you that are not familiar with kestrels, you should you should look them up. We we the the oh, slang name horrible. for them is prairie is prairie falcon is because what they're somewhat sometimes commonly called out in in this area. Um, but there, if you see them on prairie falcon, uh, th- that is an actual species. Oh, is it? Uh, is it? Yeah. Well, if prairie, you if you uh, see the if you see uh, them on a line, a lot of times, I mean, they're not much bigger than a dove. You can mistake them for a dove very very yeah, easily. In fact, flying away, like they look dove pigeon or another yeah, starling. So. But they are a beautiful beautiful bird. Their face markings and eh, man, I'm I'm not even joking. I may look into. <laughs> this a little bit because the thought of owning my own little kestrel and be able to do that oh my gosh well, get kestrel I, and then and then hunt uh hunt starlings in the off season when you're not hunting ducks so a kestrel could take, take down, down a, a duck teal. pretty good what was that could a kestrel take down a duck pretty good no 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 uh too small way too big for a kestrel yeah what about like a coot or a teal you think it could take like a small i duck doubt thing? it could even take a coot um i don't think it could take a, uh take a teal um Probably the smallest thing that would take out something like a coot would be a Cooper's hawk. Mm-hmm. Would probably be the smallest thing. Those are um, cool could, but I don't even think a Cooper's hawk could take down a regular sized mallard. Oh. Uh, I mean, they they might be able to here and there, but they just would have a really difficult time sinking their talons in and being able to hold on long enough until you got there to help them out. Yeah, they're a tiny little bird for sure. So you, you gotta if if you're thinking like, man, I really this sounds really cool. I really want to get into this. Think about what type of quarry you have. So like, think of like, do you have starlings? Do you have rabbits? Do you have mm-hmm. ducks? You know, you you've got these things that you can hunt. Okay, what bird? What what raptor best fits hunting that species? So, and then get the raptor that is best suited to hunt that certain quarry that you've chosen. And you'll find yourself having the most success. Um, you so, you so can get the... a certain bird because you want the certain bird. But to be honest, if, if I got a Harris's Hawk, like, you know, the bird I have right now and I went, Oh, I want to hunt starlings. I'm not going to have a good time. Mm-hmm. The starlings are just way too fast and she's way too big. <laughs> so, um, it would it would kind of be pointless. So what's the um, best so bird I, for I ducks? I want to think of finding things like, uh, you know, like rabbits or squirrels or, you know, we dug ducks. And so things of that size for her. Which which one's the best for ducks? Um, Best duck birds tend to be the goshawks and the peregrine falcon tend to mm. be the best best uh, raptor that that they do well on ducks. If you want to go to a pond and put a bird up in the sky, scare the ducks off the pond, watch the bird smack a duck, peregrine all the way. They're awesome animals. Um, if you want to see more tail chases, you just want to run, run up to a canal and scare the ducks off it and watch the bird chase and grab thing, grab them in the air, which is my preferred method. Um, then a goshawk would be great. Um, both a peregrine, is a little bit easier, I believe, to uh, train and work with than a goshawk. Uh, but a Harris's hawk, the bird I have, still does great on ducks. Um, you have a lot of peregrine falcons. Successful in- as a goshawk, but I don't know. My Harris's did fantastic. I couldn't be more happy. <laughs> Do you have a lot of peregrine falcons in your stand? I know here in Kansas, we have 
I've seen a few, but we don't have many. Are they really common? And you said you're in Utah, right? So I see them often. Um, I, I don't think other people see them as much just because they're not looking for them. Yeah. Um, but I've found a few just on the sides of buildings um, here. And, and uh, I've seen them on telephone poles. I've seen them flying around while we're hunting. Um, but I do notice that since I have a bird of prey with me a lot, the other birds of prey kind of come out of the woodwork and try to check out what we're doing. And hmm. so sometimes I'll see eagles and falcons. And, and this, this season, since we were doing a lot of urban hawking, I saw tons and tons and tons of Cooper's hawks. So, um, how many different falcons like do we out. have in in North America? How, 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 how many? I, 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 yeah, yeah, just falcon, different types of falcons. Oh, how many there. different types of falcons? Uh, yeah, I'm not totally sure. I don't because I don't know, I know of that most, many. The I'm, most common ones that I know of tend to be the prairie falcon, the American kestrel, mm-hmm. uh, peregrine falcon, and the jeer falcon. Hmm. I'm not sure. Heard of the there might falcon. be more. The Jeer Falcon is the one I first talked about about the first bird I ever held. Mm-hmm. That was Jeer Falcon. They're a beautiful white bird and they they're the largest falcon in the world. Because those peregrines are spectacular looking as well. I mean they're beautiful. Oh, yeah, the peregrines beautiful. are really, really pretty. Um I, it's so funny because I, I actually like their juvenile plumage way more than their adult plumage. I think I wish they kept their juvenile plumage. I think it's prettier. Mm. <laughs> so um, they got more of a war paint look on their face versus the adult ones to have more of a just kind of it almost looks like a helmet on their head. <laughs> so you mean, really, really beautiful birds. You mentioned yeah. that you did a lot of uh, urban urban uh, falconry this year. And one thing is duck hunters. Um, a lot of times we like to get out into the wild. Um, do mm-hmm. you is there a reason? I mean, I, I assume the reason for that is just accessibility it's a little bit easier to find ducks um in the urban areas where people can't hunt i mean is there uh any reason to go out into the wild i mean it's, there there go it ahead. kind of depends on what you're looking for i mean for for my bird and i um she won't chase anything unless she's close she's if she sees a duck far away she thinks i got no chance why even try and so I need to find places where I can get really close. And in most of these really large wetland areas, it can be really hard to get close to, um, to the ducks to let her chase them. And I'm trying to give her, you know, six, maybe 12 to maybe even 16 to 20 chances at ducks in one day. Am I really going to be able to accomplish that out in the wetlands? Probably not. It's really, really unlikely. And so I got to start looking at, well, where can I accomplish that? And it's a lot more easily accomplished in urban settings. Now, going to the park would probably be way too easy. <laughs> you got people feeding ducks and you're <laughs> trying to send a, doc, a hawk after them. And, and that would, that little would kids be run around crying. Yeah, a little kid runs around, like a hawk catches it. Like, I'd be terrified some lady would kick my bird if she saw that. So, um, so, you know, I don't want to go for that. So the places I look for are going to be canals that run through town where people aren't feeding them. Or or I'll find uh, rivers, at least, uh, where the ducks are more skittish. If they're not flying off, if they're not getting scared easily, I'm not going to return to that spot. I want the ducks to be scared and, and when they see our presence. 
And so um, I'll, I'll look for places that have a lot of cover that I can kind of pop around trees or maybe um, if I'm if I'm driving along the canal road, I can I can even send the bird out of the car window if I want to. <laughs> Usually I like getting out um, and, and sending the bird after. To me, it's more fun doing that. Um, but. Uh, I'll I'll try to look for places where they're close. So it it, it has a bit more to do with accessibility, and the I, I would say the biggest reason I'm not hunting in the same places as gun hunters are is I am too afraid my bird's going to get shot, whether it be by accident or by purpose, or maybe it's just a trigger happy kid. You know, I I don't know mm. what people are always thinking, and yeah. so I don't really want to risk it. <laughs> All right, so how about this first scenario? Tell me why this wouldn't work. So let's say you've got a sure. private pond, and you know, a lot, you know a lot of ducks frequent the pond, and you go ahead with one or two guys, and and you hunt the pond, but your ultimate goal is, I mean, you shotgun hunt the pond, but your ultimate goal is to land the birds on the water, and in the scenario where the birds land on the water, then you use your falcon. Yeah, you could totally do that. The only would- problem I think there would be is if you're using decoys, your bird might go for the decoys. Mm. And what about the loud the loud shotgun? Uh, would that be an issue? For, uh, probably for not bird? for the the bird if you get them accustomed to it. What do you think of that? So, yeah, I was <laughs> you got your blind and you got having your... having guns out with a bird just seems risky to me. Sure, um, just because I don't I don't want my bird getting shot. Uh, you know, so but if it was less like but like if you, if you can do it by yourself, I would I would that sounds like a situation that's excellent for a peregrine falcon. You know, you could you could. Like maybe you got your own private pond, you set up some decoys and you, you wait for some birds to come into the pond and then you, you put your uh, falcon up into the sky. And yeah. then when they're at, you know, whatever your desired height is, then you go up and you spook all those birds off the pond and that peregrine falcon is probably going to try to come down and get one of those ducks that are flying instead of attacking a decoy. She could and, run it, and that sounds like a great situation for a no peregrine falcon. But maybe not so much for something like my Harris's hawk, who will probably attack one of the decoys. Unless you're just your videos, using decoys, then I then you could scare the ducks off the pond, and the Harris's hawk can just go after them too. I noticed so in one of your work. videos that the your hawk seemed a little reluctant to go after the ducks on the water, but especially yeah. one of the videos, it was. It, you let it go, and it kind of went, and some birds flushed. It missed one that landed in a tree, and then there was a duck sitting there in in the water. And you kind of walked over to where you put the duck in between you and the hawk, and the hawk waited for the duck to flush. So will yep. will they a lot of times go and and um, attack the duck while it's on the water, or they almost always wait for it to flush? I do notice my bird likes to wait for them to flush or at least be in the air. I've also noticed sometimes if the ducks are even just flying over the water and my bird doesn't feel like getting wet that day, she will not grab that duck. Hmm. So um, they usually try to avoid getting wet um, if they can. And sometimes that can depend on their mood for that day. And sometimes it can depend on how hungry they are. Like if they're, if she's way more hungry than normal, she's probably going to be more willing to get wet to catch one. Or if she's not feeling that hungry that day, she's probably going to be more picky and choosy about what she grabs and, and will let things go because she's like, I'm not that hungry. I'll wait till I have one that's on dry land. Cause I don't feel like getting wet today. Do you withhold and food so, before a hunt? Do I ever what? 
do you withhold food like the day before? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't feed her um, on the day on the day we hunt. Um, so, it, what was actually kind of interesting over the last month, we were hunting so much that she didn't get the only food she got um, was when she flew back to me after she missed something. I would give her a little tidbit, mm-hmm. um, or when she caught something. And then she got to have a sizable meal. Did you and stop right there? The only two times she ever ate. I didn't feed her at home at all because we were hunting so often. She was getting either filling up enough on either tidbits that day, and she had enough for her meal that day, or uh, she caught something and she got to eat even more because she caught something. Do you feed them right after each kill, or do you wait until the hunt's over? Oh, I feed them right after each kill. Uh, okay. the, again, in part, it kind of comes back to that positive reinforcement. You know, they mm-hmm. she did accomplish something I wanted. You know, she mm-hmm. she caught a duck, and so what I let her do is she catches the duck. I'll dispatch the duck, and then I just kind of sit there and let her do her thing. She'll pluck some feathers. She might eat a little bit at the neck, and and I'll wait for her to kind of calm down a little bit. They they're normally really hyped up right after they catch something, and I'll wait for her to calm down for a little bit. Um, and, and I'll take like a, um, like either a, the leg or the wing of, of a duck, either that she's caught before to my bag, or maybe I'll just rip it off the, the duck she's already caught. And, um, I'll put my gloved hand over the duck w- and covering most of it. And I'll toss out that wing and then she'll hop off the duck and she gets to eat the rest of that wing and I'll bag that duck. Mm-hmm. And so while she's eating, she doesn't see me bag the duck. And that way, when she's finished with that wing, she can kind of turn around, look around, and she goes, oh, well, I guess I ate everything. Yeah. <laughs> and and then she hops back up, and if she looks like she still wants to hunt, uh, she'll normally keep trying to look around for more ducks. Um, then we'll keep hunting, and maybe we'll go for two, maybe three that day. I think we, we got our bag limit once. Um, uh, but... Two in one day was way more typical. Her bag, uh, her bag limit is your, but it's just regular waterfowl. Yeah, it's just regular waterfowl. Possession limit and bag limit. It's the same for um, falconers as it is for hunters. So you couldn't go shoot ducks and do the falcon. It's just that's your limit for the day. Yeah, that would be my limit for the day. So (laughs) once I catch three, we're done. That's our limit for here. Is is it's uh, three and only you can only catch two hens. So she caught two hens right away. And then I wouldn't risk her catching another one because she might mm-hmm. catch another hen. So I'd be like, two is enough. It's great. We're done. You know, <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's okay. Normally when we go for that third one, I'm kind of really pushing her to go for that third one. She's definitely not as motivated by that third duck as she was on the first or second. So mm. um, we only had one day where she seemed really fired up to go for a third. And that was <laughs> but that is, it was do, a lot more normal for us doing your thing in the urban areas do uh, do you come across people that see what you're doing and if so what's oh, yeah. their reaction uh, i come across people all the time a lot of times they're just asking what we're doing i just tell them we're hawking ducks i'm letting my bird fly around and if she wants to catch a duck she can catch a duck if she wants to and a lot of times i mean i haven't had any negative um i haven't had a single negative interaction yet it's all been super positive they're typically really interested fascinated 
or maybe they're in a little bit of shock uh, and, and maybe they don't have time to, to get upset about it. <laughs> but um, it's all been pretty positive. They all think it's really cool. If, if they're being really nice and, and they're really interested in it, I'll even let them hold my bird if they want. So try to give them a good positive experience and, and um, you know, give them a chance to learn something. Um, and because since I'm so in front of the public, a lot of times, a lot of what I do will reflect on many other falconers. And so I want to be able to have that positive impact on people here, like people locally. And that way they're, you know, telling their friends, Oh, I saw this really awesome thing. It was so cool. They're saying something positive about it. And I've run into a few people um, multiple times even, and they were excited to see me again. And so, um, I, I haven't had it, had any negative interactions, um, with it at all. Hmm. So I thought I would have Great. some, but I didn't have any, <laughs> awesome. maybe as I go through the years, I'll get one or two, yeah. but most likely through time, there's, there's always that yeah, one person here there. there. That one person will try to, <laughs> try to be as polite as we possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, similar to how we have to deal with it is, is uh gun hunters for ducks as well. So, um, man, that's a, uh, it's a super, super cool topic. I feel like we've just, uh, we just kind of, um, glazed over a lot of it and, uh, <laughs> a lot of rabbit trails and hopefully the audience was able to, to follow us with all our uh, crazy questions that Elliot and I had. But, Elliot, I was right with you. I was thinking the same thing, man. It'd be cool to decoy decoy birds and hunt them just yeah. like we hunt with guns. Um, uh-huh. But instead, you know, you have your uh, your uh, army of falcons behind you. You just let out right uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that'd be so cool. Right when they decoy in. So that'd be super cool. It's yeah. um, cool, actually. You say, like, you know, your army of falcons. The, the, the hawk that I have right now, earlier I mentioned they're a pack hunter. Um, and there are falconers out there who have multiple Harris's hawks and will hunt with them at the same time. Mm. So like uh, a friend of mine, um, here, he, he uses two Harris's hawks and hunts rabbits with them. And so they'll coordinate and hunt together. It's amazing. That's and cool. I'm sure you can That's do the same cool. thing with ducks, um, with, with Harris's hawks. Um, but decoying some ducks in could be really fun, but most falconers will just look and see if there's ducks already on their, you know, three or four ponds they usually hunt. So. Mm-hmm. Oh <laughs> yeah, definitely a strategy that you know we might see if if some uh, gun hunters start getting into it, maybe we'll start seeing that as a strategy. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely should work. I mean, you can land birds in your decoys when you're in in your blind and all that. I mean, I wouldn't see how it's yeah. any different or than from just walking distance. up to your uh, your stream or whatever and, and letting the bird out while the birds pick up from there. But it would be yeah. super cool. It, it, what the challenging part would be is that, you know, the birds are flying out. They're still over water and you got a, you got a Harris's hawk or a goshawk that catches them and they land in the water. You got to get there quick before, you know, they either let go of the duck or that duck might drag them under the water. So you got to be careful. Hmm. And they, would they let go I, at that one point? Of the reasons why I like staying close is because there's some big ducks that she's caught and she's almost been dragged under the water a couple times. So when she catches a duck, I'm I'm rushing into the, especially if she lands in the water, I'm rushing in the water to get her. 
so that that duck either doesn't get away or she doesn't drown. So yeah, because the the duck's instinct is going to be to dive under the yeah, water. Yeah, most of the time they'll dive. Yeah, hmm. um, it's nice when they're dumb and they won't dive. But <laughs> <laughs> awesome. But you can tell even through some of the videos that I had, you can tell that you know my hawk will try to find the ducks that are on the opposite side of the bank that aren't sitting on the water. And she knows that if they're just sitting there, they're not doing anything, and she flies first, she's got her best chance. If they're on the water, she ha- she wants to wait for the ducks to fly before she goes after them. So she's kind of created somewhat of a habit of sitting and waiting for the ducks to make a move before she goes. And she's still trying to learn when when it's best to wait for the ducks to, to flush or when it's best to just go for it anyways. Cause I've had times where she's just slammed ducks sitting on the water. Like a duck will be on the water and she notices it and just wham hits it and gets it right in the water and holds onto it just fine. And then other times there's like a duck that doesn't even realize she's there. That's sitting on the bank. That's asleep. And it's like, just go for it. <laughs> so, and, and she's just like sitting there waiting for the duck to do something and, and, or move, you know, they're so they're, they're such reactive animals. And, uh, when they see something move or flush or fly or run, it, it really triggers their instinct to want to chase. And so sometimes if something's just sitting there still, they're a little hesitant to go for it, but the moment it just starts moving, they're like, Oh, now's the time to go. When sometimes I wish they would just go, even if it was sitting still and, you know, some birds will do that. Some birds will don't, some birds won't. It, it could depend on their experience, how hungry they are. Um, maybe the, the bird's individual personality. There's so many factors that go into this. Maybe, maybe it has uh, something to do with the falconer themselves with how they train the animal. So there are a lot of factors, but it, it does make it nice to bring my dog with me every now and then. So then I can, you know, release the dog on the ducks and then the ducks all flush up and then the bird can go chase them. If I'm, if I'm having trouble with the uh, ducks, not flushing off the water, I can always do that. Hmm. Awesome. But most of the time I can get the ducks flushed off without even the dog helping. <laughs> super, stuff. super intriguing. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I went off on a little. Time. Oh no, that's no, it. No, no, this is wonderful. Awesome. <laughs> so is the biggest challenge to getting into this, finding a sponsor. I would say so, yes. Um, I got lucky and got a sponsor pretty quick, but not everybody's that fortunate. Um, so getting a sponsor can be really hard. Because um, you're going to have to spend a lot of time with wanting, them. Yeah, most likely you'll end up spending a lot of time with them. I had previous experience with training animals because um, I worked for uh, aquariums uh, prior to that. So I had, I had the opportunity to train you know, lizards and fish and uh, even got to do training with caimans at one point. And so I understood the basics when I started falconry. So I didn't have to have as much um, handholding with my sponsor. Um, but that's not going to be true for everybody. Mm-hmm. And and it all depends on your situation. Maybe what you want to fly will, will determine the sponsor you end up having. Because if you want to fly a peregrine and all the all the falconers in your area only fly Harris's and red tails. Maybe they're not good fits for what you want to do. And so uh, you got to find somebody who also flies peregrines, you know, or or maybe just find another falconer who's hunting at least the same type of quarry that you want to hunt. Like you guys will probably want to hunt ducks with with a bird. And so 
try to find a falconer who's also hunting ducks with their bird, whatever bird it may be. And, and, and finding that sponsor can take time because they are, they don't get paid. They, you know, they're, they're volunteering their time to teach you um, the sport of falconry. And so um, it's, it's, it's a sacrifice that they're willing to make, you know, to, to teach somebody else. So that's why it can be so difficult. But if you really want to get into it, best advice I can give is go take the test. And once you've passed it, then start asking around because most people will, most falconers will not even consider taking an apprentice unless they have already passed the test. Mm. There are some states though, you do have to have a sponsor before even taking the test, but I don't think there's that many. Most states let you take the test before you get a sponsor. So they want to see that you've got the determination and dedication. Oftentimes they want you to join them on a few hunts before they take you on as an apprentice. So you gotta gotta show your dedication before they end up agreeing to sponsoring an apprentice. All right, I'm I'm taking my test tonight, Elliot. How about you? <laughs> well, look at I'll tell you in Kansas, I'm looking at Kansas, they actually have an extended falconry season. But that probably do doesn't have, I don't know if that do they have one in Kansas for ducks? Well, that's They're what I'm not sure if this is for yet. ducks or not. So yeah, I don't know. Normally, for... they've got an extended season for upland game, so stuff like <laughs> stuff like uh, quail and pheasant. Yeah, you know, chucker. Um, they've got an extended season. I think ours is extended as well. It goes like one month longer than everybody than the other hunters, but. Um, well, they've got an extended season that goes through March for, 10th for, and you can for take a duck for here. Um, <laughs> where I'm at, we don't get an extended season for ducks. I wish we could have like an extended th- season for ducks. Cause like gun hunters do outnumber us like 200 to one. So, um, yeah. it, it would be, I mean, yeah, it, it would be really, really nice. Um, to be able to do that. Cause it's like the, you know, these ducks get hunted by wild birds anyway. So it's not like we'd be creating a, a, a noticeable disturbance. So, uh, but yeah, there would yeah. be a point where I'd be like, okay, we're not gonna keep hunting because now they're they're totally nesting. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't even because I'd I'd want there to be more ducks for next season. So yeah. I wouldn't mm-hmm. want to disturb the areas while they're nesting either. So it'd be a bit more on uh, maybe it could end up being more, I guess, reliant on. Falconers knowing when to stop if they extended the season. Well, here in Kansas, they have a migratory extended season, which goes from February 24th to March 10th. And you can take any three migratory birds, but only one duck during that time. Only one duck a day or just one duck it's, over the, th- uh, that's daily bag limit. So daily bag, three, that's still pretty darn good. You can, but still you can catch- get, you know, a coot dove, rail, crow, snipe, any migratory yeah. species, but only that sounds one, great. one duck. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that still sounds great. Normally when yeah. you're when you're hunting with a hawk, you're normally only bagging one or two. So you normally get them to the point where they catch one thing or they catch two things and you're done. So you could catch a coot and then go for a mallard or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um and and get two. I mean we I've tried that. The day we caught three, I tried to see if she would go catch a coot, but she was kind of done. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm full. But yeah, she was like, nah, I'm full, man. I, like 
three ducks was enough. <laughs> <laughs> so they they get tired out. They they have their limits too. Um, and I guess if you don't want to stop, that's when you start getting more birds. <laughs> Super cool. So during the off season, what, how, how much time do you spend with that? If, if let's say you just need a break and you go a week and all you do is feed your, because they don't have a bonding relationship, are they okay to go multiple days just kind of only getting fed and not having intera- any interaction? Yeah, so during the summer we molt our birds. So wild birds will uh, eat quite a lot um, during the summer just because food is more available and they'll get really fat. And since they get really fat, it gives them plenty of energy to shed all their feathers and regrow fresh new ones. And so falconers will do the same thing. Um, We'll usually take a break over the summer, and we will just fatten our birds up. We will let them fully molt, let them shed all their old feathers, grow brand brand new ones, um, and... uh, then once they've done all that, we'll start reducing their weight again and getting ready for hunting. So they typically get about a four-month to six-month break over the summer. Uh, you can fly birds through the molt. They, they'll just molt a lot slower, and they will not molt as fast. And it can also depend on the species, whether it's doable or not. Harris's hawks, you can fly them through the molt pretty well. Um but maybe something like um, a goshawk or a peregrine might not handle that nearly as well. Um, And it can be rough. So like if your bird's really hard on their feathers and they break several feathers, you probably do want to give them a chance to rest, relax, fatten up, shed those feathers, regrow fresh ones so that they don't have all those busted feathers anymore. And then, and then go hunting again. Uh, so most most of our birds do get a break. Like I already put my bird up for the molt. Like she's already resting, and um, I'm fattening her up right now. And um, she dropped two feather, four feathers, just a few weeks ago. And so she's she's already started. <laughs> awesome, man! Uh, super, super duper in- intriguing. So I, I mean, I, I think. <laughs> I legitimately might look into it a little bit, um, but then again, my wife might kill me if I pick up another uh, another hobby. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, this isn't just a hobby; it's a it's a lifestyle change. Even when you get something small, it changes how your routine goes throughout the day. I can, yeah, I can. So, I can so only really imagine. It's, uh, something that's nice about gun hunting is you can put the gun into the safe and and not even think about it for a while. You can't really do that with the bird of prey. You gotta you no matter what, even during the off season, we're always caring for our birds, making sure they're okay, setting up. I'm think I'm already thinking of what we're going to be doing next season. And so, <laughs> um, uh, just making sure that she's cared for every day, um, changes how I live my life. Oh yeah. So, um, that's kind of why a lot of falconers might say, you know, it's a big commitment. Like it, it, it really is a lifestyle change and there's ways to make it affect your life. Maybe the least amount, like if you just flew a Kestrel for six months and then released him in the wild and then had six months, and then caught a fresh Kestrel and then had him six months and then fly him, release him, take a break six months. You could do something like that. 
and and so that way you're not taking care of a bird all year round but most of us are so attached to them and love having them and and enjoy flying a single bird multiple seasons in a row where most of us won't do that so like i want to my and my birds cap bred like my harris's hawk i did not trap her from the wild my two red tails i did but not this one and so it would be illegal for me to release her, um, hmm. especially in our area, because she's actually not a native bird to, to Utah. So she's, she, her ancestry is from, I think, Arizona, no, Texas. So um, you can find Harris's hawks in Texas and Arizona and then like Mexico and kind of the northern parts of South America. You can find those birds. Um, but she's cat the bread. I, I can't release her. So I hope to keep her her entire life. What's the lifespan? Ten years ish? Uh, kind of between fifteen to twenty is what I oh, noticed. Wow. Um, wow. Some birds have lived up to thirty, so it it kind of depends. Uh, like sometimes they just start getting old and slow, and then eventually they get caught by an eagle, or maybe mm. they just get sick or something like that. So yeah, um, there there are those there are those cases. I mean, it. My my first bird, um, his name was Arvid. Uh, which actually, it's a I believe it's a Norwegian name, and it means eagle of the forest. Hmm. Um, which, if I get an eagle someday, I'm naming a new I'm naming that bird Arvid again. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> yeah. I love the name. Um, but my my first bird, um, he was doing so well. I he was catching rabbits. Um, and, you know, first bird. I think I was experiencing success than most apprentices do and and i was loving it i fell in love with this bird i loved i loved love love this bird so much i wanted to fly him multiple seasons in a row um but in january of uh, that first year um that i had him um he caught a rabbit and it was like a really easy catch and i was like oh that's weird anyway so i dispatched the rabbit and and I, I let him, you know, eat the rabbit and everything. And, and, um, and when I traded her off the rabbit, I just ripped, I normally will rip off like a front leg and then toss, toss that front leg. And then I bagged the rabbit. But when I bagged the rabbit, I noticed it had a, a shotgun wound on the other side, the side that was facing the ground. And I was kind of like, Oh no! I hope it wasn't. There wasn't lead poisoning or anything. You know, I hope uh, um, it was steel shot. And I mean, like at the time, I kind of assumed everybody used steel shot. But then, over the next couple weeks, he got sick. Mm. And this was also during a time uh, my daughter was just born, and she was born six weeks early, and uh, she was in the NICU. And we were going back and forth to the NICU. Um, the, the hospital was like a 30-minute drive away from us. And I was spending so much time with, you know, my, my daughter who was just born. And and this was during a time that my hawk started getting kind of worse, losing weight, not wanting to hunt. And I started getting really concerned. I was like, oh, no, this seems like like lead poisoning. I don't think that, I don't think that rabbit was uh, shot with, with steel. And so I was like, okay, I'll take her to the vet. And I scheduled an appointment to the vet, um, which was the day after um, we brought our daughter home. And so uh, we brought our daughter home from the NICU. And then the next morning, I unfortunately found 
um, him uh, dead in the muse. And I was devastated. Oh, I bet. And so, and there is that, that heartbreak that, that happens, even though, you know, they're with the human, even though they're, these birds are with us, um, there, it, it, it can, there are still risks. So a bird can still get killed by an eagle, maybe killed by another uh, falcon. Uh, it can be killed by a coyote. There's plenty of other predators out there that will kill a hawk. Maybe um, the bird gets shot. Uh, I, I just saw uh, there was a post from another falconer I saw a few days ago where his bird ran into a barbed wire fence and it tore off a wing. Um uh, hit by cars. Uh, I mean, um, maybe poison, maybe it eats a poisoned rat or something. You know, there's still all these risks. Now, if the birds were on their own in the wild, the risks would be even higher. The risks, risks are much lower with us because we can get them medical care. We can take them to the vet. Um, but the risk is still there. And unfortunately, um, because of my situation and because I wasn't careful enough, I lost my bird and I learned from that experience. Now I'm so much more careful with the things that they eat. And so this year, actually, um, my Harris's Hawk caught a duck that had been shot. I didn't let her eat off of it. Even though here in the state of Utah, it's illegal to hunt with, um, lead shot. I wasn't risking it. Sure. It was like, I already had it happen once. I'm not going to let it happen again. I just threw that duck away. I didn't let her eat any of it. And so, um, falconers still experience these, you know, heartbreaking situations, whether it it's because of inexperience or maybe it, it is something that's not within their control, but it, it, it feels different than, um, losing a pet. Like it feels different than losing a dog. Um, in, in my opinion. Um, and, and I wouldn't say it hurts worse, but it hurts different because it feels like you failed that animal, this animal that you've either taken from the wild or something that represents, you know, freedom or independence and, you know, these things. And you feel like you failed it, even, even if it's something that's not within your control. And so it, it, it hurts a lot, but what I love seeing is when falconers experience something like this, but they learn from it and then they continue to become better falconers because of it. And they have more success and, and, and create even better experience, um, uh, better experiences as time goes on. Uh, and so falconry has some of the highest of highs and the lowest of lows when it comes to, uh, the sport, um, that I, than I've ever seen. Um, or experienced uh, as well. And so um, I kind of was extremely determined for my second bird to be successful, um, have her catch as many rabbits as possible, and then release her back in the wild. That was my whole goal last season. And that bird ended her season with uh, 37 kills. She caught 37 rabbits. And I released her into the wild, and I got to see her go through the whole molt and everything. And and she stayed in the same area for about three months after I released her. And I got to revisit her and keep an eye on her. And I bet you she's still alive right now, 
doing just fine. We didn't have that harsh of a winter. And so I'm sure she's still alive um, out there. And it was, it was incredibly rewarding to be able to go through that. Um, and now I've just kind of taken my falconry in a little bit more of a different direction of what do I want to do more permanently, more in the long term. So that's why I got a bird that I want to keep for a long period of time. Awesome. <laughs> Sorry, I talked to you. No, no, that's no, that was great. That was great yeah. information. Just uh, yep. <laughs> enthralled by all of it. But um, <laughs> you know, Jason, we really appreciate you coming on tonight, man, and, and sharing all that information. It was a um, blast. Yeah, it's definitely super cool hearing it from a different perspective. You know, all of our audience are avid duck hunters, and and uh, you know, um, here you are hunting ducks a different way, but it's still you know it's still the same uh, in in some in some degrees. So. Um, really appreciate well, you coming on, man, and and uh, go ahead. Feel free to yeah, if, share if with people ever, where they can uh, where they can find you on, on any of your uh, social media or where you put your videos out. Yeah, sorry for <laughs> interrupting you there. Um, yeah, if if there's anybody that wants to check out um, what we do, I update uh, pretty often on uh, YouTube, TikTok, and uh, Instagram. Uh, it's all Wilderness Wonders. I think Instagram Wilderness Wonders was taken, so it's Wilderness Wonders USA for Instagram. But uh, the rest of it's just Wilderness Wonders. Uh, I, I post most often, I think, on TikTok. Uh, but I but you'll see more of like the catches and the eating and things like that on YouTube. Uh, if you do want to message me, if you're curious about the sport, um, feel free to do so on on Inst- I think Instagram is probably the easiest platform. If you want to message me, uh, if you got questions or or maybe need help getting in contact with your own falconry community, almost every state um, has its own uh, falconry community, uh, and most of them have Facebook pages um, that you could get in contact with them. But I'm pretty good at um, responding to uh, most uh, questions on there. So feel free, check it out, and maybe I'll hear from some of you. Awesome. Any last words, Elliot? No, I just appreciate you coming on, and you just got a new subscriber just now. So I'm on your YouTube <laughs> awesome. page. I'm going to be <laughs> binge watching. I, I like don't keep track of that. How many subscribers uh, It looks like you're 13,000, 13, 13.3. Oh, awesome. I thought it was still at 10. <laughs> no, 13.3. Awesome. Alrighty, fellas, I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting, and Jason from Wilderness Wonders, and we'll see you guys on the next one.